Okay, with Renata, Renata Amador, Gummies is the short film played at the Thriller Suspense Film Festival. Oh my God, I'm getting a little, uh, bra- uh, you got me thrown with your name, Renata. That's a really great name. I actually love that name. Is there an origin story to to the naming of it? Uh, you know, I have looked it up and, you know, my dad just, when he was in the Marines, heard the name Renetta and fell in love with it. But as far as being able to figure out where it came from, I have not. Was the closest were... is Renata, but um, yeah, there's really. Was, where was he stationed when, when you were born? Uh, he was in San Diego in boot camp when I was born. So. Okay. It's a beautiful yeah. town. <laughs> I know. He regrets leaving there all the time. So tell me about the film Gummies. If I if I would ask you to, you were forced to categorize into a genre. How would you how would you put this in a genre? Uh, you know, I have been racking my brain trying to figure that one out because it actually crosses several dr- yeah, genres. That's, that's why drama. I'm on, yeah. It's thriller. I think it's psychological horror. Um, you know, I think those three. It's a hybrid, and we really struggled with where we wanted to submit this in the festival circuit because it really, depending on your viewpoint and how you take it, it could go into all of them. It also played LGBTQ plus film festivals as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so right now we've been doing the thriller horror circuit and the LGBTQ festivals usually are in the spring summer ish. So we'll head those up next year. Gotcha. Okay, so tell me about the film. So you did uh, was uh, the gentleman Michael Clifton was the writer of the script? Yes, he was. And um, the inspiration for this um, came from, he has a young niece and a young, young nephew, brother and sister. And the nephew put on his niece's shirt. And it kind of started a conversation about whether or not he could wear this shirt because, you know, it's a girl's shirt and he's a boy. And that sort of got his mind thinking and created the inspiration what became what became gummies, you know, about a little girl who desperately wants to be a boy and have boy things. Yeah. But her mom goes to these horrific links to keep her as a her little princess. The interesting thing is that this obviously unfortunately still happens now. And it's like if you look at children's uh, even children's clothes. It's so gender, everything's so gender specific. It's crazy. Like how these are corporations that are doing that. So they must be like, one would assume their board of directors are doing this for a reason, but everything's like pink is the girl, blue is the boy, right? Like it's all like everything's so specific, even toys for kids. Exactly. And, and, you know, um, in thinking with that and in thinking like, if you if you buy into that and you really want, you know, your son or daughter, like rarely when you have kids, I mean, of course, a parent always has these images and these dreams of what this child is going to become, right? However, that's it never works out that way. My parents certainly didn't see me moving to LA and becoming a filmmaker. That was the last thing on their mind, you know, with purple hairs and tattoos. They didn't think that's what they were going to get, but that's what they got. Um, <laughs> and so it was, you know, really interesting to think about that and to think about what was the, what would it be that you would do to keep your child that? So we just went towards the worst form and most barbaric sense of a conversion therapy for. 
Gotcha. That's a great idea. And in terms of uh, uh, directing the film, so he kind of came with this idea, and you—that the reason why I was bringing up even the genres is that tone-wise, you got to film it in a certain way, right? Like, so I'm just right. curious, like how lots of camera movement. There's like kind of one location. I'm just curious how what what your thoughts are when you first read the script. Did you did you start seeing it start seeing it visually right away? Um, I did. Like, I will say I'll give a little shout out to film festivals. Without film festivals, I never would have met Michael Clifton. And the thing is, he had seen my first short and was a big fan of it and reached out to me. And I made a comment that it was a shame that, you know, as a filmmaker, everybody sees what you make. You know, you have to sit there in the audience, watch the reactions. It's a very nerve wracking process. As a screenwriter, you turn in that script, but you don't have to watch people read it, nor does most of the festival goers get to read them. And so um, he was gracious and kind enough to share his screenplays with me. One of them was Gummies. And immediately it resonated with me growing up in, you know, in the Bible Belt of Texas. And I fell in love with it. And I just told him, I was like, you know, I have experienced this. I've seen this and witnessed this. I used to be a social worker and worked in the GLBT community in Texas and watched the struggle of these teens and mostly with their parents. And I said, you know, I really want this short. If you'll allow me to have it and trust me enough to put my vision on it, but still have your message. And go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's so interesting because it's obviously this this resonated to you emotionally because you get the story. Like uh, I'm just putting the putting the pieces together. Your dad was in the Marines, as you described. This is the audio podcast. You do have purple hair. (laughs) You have tattoos, and you're from uh, you know, like you said, deep in the heart of Texas. So I'm assuming he's very. There's a religious ideology there as well. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, I was born and raised Catholic, very Hispanic Catholic, um, because I'm, you know, I am of Mexican descent, and there was, you know, certain ideals that were ingrained in me early on. You know, you're going to get married young, you're going to have children, you're going to get a responsible job, and I did all that. I, I mean, most sort of. You know, I was engaged young. I got the responsible job. And, um, you know, the responsible conservative look. And then at some point I was just like, this isn't my life. This isn't who I am. And I didn't end up getting married. I quit my job. And two weeks later, I was living in L.A. Um, And I was lucky that my family was 100 percent supportive. I even tried to move back. And my dad was like, there's nothing left for you here. You don't belong here. You and I know that. And whatever we do as a family to help you, we will do it. Um. But unfortunately, that's not the majority of the reactions. And so he put it so eloquently in this short film in in a way that it was a one page short when I read it. Mm. And it really just stuck with me and I couldn't stop thinking about it. We added about a page and a half, sort of. Um, and the rest, he was just kind and gracious enough to to put it in my hands and say, okay, I don't always understand your, you know, he had never had anything produced or been really on sets. So uh, it was a learning experience for him in that way. Um, but it was just a magical pairing. And there was, from the moment that we decided to do this, every single thing went right, which just kept leading me to believe that this was a story we needed to tell. 
Gotcha. And so then according to your blog interview, you were you uh you're when you're 23 years old, you move everything. You said you gave up everything and you moved to LA to work Correct. in the industry. So you're kind of can relate to this. Like it's like you you want to be in, in a sense, you want to be yourself. You wanted to be yourself, who you Correct. were, right? So you had to kind of abandon your culture, you had abandoned your your hometown to like find yourself, I guess, right? Yeah, correct. And it, and it was, you know, I didn't have friends or family out here, so I had no support system. Um, and it was, you know, it was very scary and incredibly difficult. LA is its own, its own learning curve. But um, I've been here 23 years now, and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. Well, um, it seems like because you've been doing this, you've been doing script supervision for a long time, right? For like over 20 I have, years. I, I've made a living as a script supervisor for 23 years, and I've worked on some amazing projects with some really, you know, phenomenal directors. I was, you know, I worked very hard, I hustled, and I got lucky in my choices, and it worked out very well. During the course of the last five years, I've realized that um, I've learned so much from those directors, that, and I had my own stories to tell. And what I've kind of been doing is marrying things that are very important to me with, you know, society, you know, in society and in life with my love of the horror genre. And so Mm -hmm. this is kind of what we played with, with gummies. We had a very important message we wanted to tell, but we also wanted to tell it in a very creepy, unsettling way. Um where somebody at the end does find their power yeah 100 percent. no I, I think it's a fantastic it's a fantastic film and like you just to give people a backdrop we will get we can get to onto it later on but like people that don't know what a script supervisor is is that you're basically you sit beside the director during the whole whole set right so right. and so basically you're like you're kind of like you're the continuity person you're making sure you're giving notes for the editor to make sure then you're also making sure that that there's a scene, there's a scene going on that you, I, I'm, I'm explaining something that you know better than I do, right? But I just like, I'm trying to be layman, layman's terms, right? Like you give no, notes no, to the it, editor and, uh, and like you want to make sure that there's, the, 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 the things match, scene, it matches scene to scene. So say there's a glass in front of someone, an actress, uh, they're doing a dinner scene. You want to make sure the glass is the same length, same full or half full length and from cut to cut so it doesn't distract the audience, I guess, right? Exactly. And I mean, aside from all the continuity, you know, um, I was, I'm also the eyes on every single detail. Do the frames match? Do the shots match? Are the eye lines right? And so technically I've been practicing this for a long time. You know, I have directors I've worked with for 14 years and they'll just look at me and I can just be like, you need to go again. And they trust me enough to say, okay, let's do one more take. Because, you know, even if they don't see it right away, they know I've seen something because I am watching every single detail why the director is watching the performance and the look and the camera work. You know, I can sit there and say, well, you know, uh, his his uh, hairnet was showing under the wig or whatever. But I can also say, listen, you didn't get a close up on them, but you got one on your other actor. Do you need it? And sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no. That's their creative vision. I just make sure they get it. Yeah. So, so over your left shoulder, you got uh, movie posters of Selma and the Marriage Story. 
Which, oh, yes, uh, I do. Two yes. great films, and you were the script supervisor on those two films, correct? I, I was, I was. Um, I was very fortunate. I did Selma, Marriage Story, and I also was a, the script supervisor on Promising Young Woman. So um, three very entirely different directors um, that really, I they just taught me so much. Uh, Noah Baumbach, especially, you know, he's such a precise director. Um, no ad-libbing, every shot thought out. Oh, I was really? there. Yeah. Because he, they're, they're all those films are very actor, actor kind of centric, right? Like he lets the he like the actors are telling his stories, right? So I'm, 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 I'm assuming so no ad libs. He just yeah, they have to no. stick to the script. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, in Marriage Story, we had ten to twelve page scenes, <clears throat> and in one scene in particular, there's a huge fight between this divorcing couple that takes place at the husband's new apartment. I mean, we shot that fight for three days. Um, all 10 pages, top to bottom, every single take. And it was such a painful fight to watch and just to do it over and over. But there was zero ad lib. You know, he, every single word that they said, he scripted. Well, I don't think he's made a bad film yet. And like, you could even include no. his uh, helping out in the Barbie movie with his with his partner, Greta, right? So, Oh, exactly. He was an independent filmmaker. Those both of them were. And then now they made the biggest movie of the year, which is funny. It, it was interesting watching it, having worked with him so closely, because I could sit there and be like, that's a Noah monologue. You know, that's that's a Greta. That's a Oh, really? So it was really fun because he does have a certain style. And yeah. he had me, you know, mostly script supervisors come in two weeks before you shoot a movie and you do all the technical breakdowns and, and whatnot. But Noah had me come in an extra 10 days and sit through rehearsals every day with him and the actors as we worked out some of the more important scenes um, or the more intense scenes. And just watching his process and how he worked with actors, um, I fall back on that a lot, you know, just how delicate he was with them and respectful. And even though he doesn't allow, you know, ad libs and he wants everything said as scripted, you know, he's also very careful to hear what they say and to talk about it and, and get to that place they need to be. Gotcha. So you, uh, um, I'm curious because I really liked uh, the film Don 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 John, the George oh yeah, Gordon Levitt film. How is yeah. how is working with? I'm so curious because how is working with? Because I got you, so I, I hope you don't mind me asking these no, questions. It's okay. So he he's he's in every scene, right? Uh, it's right. a great film. I it, it didn't get justice. I, I believe it didn't get the justice that it deserves, as far as I'm concerned. Because it really kind of it touches on sexual and, and basically porn as an addiction, which is you know probably the biggest addiction that we have in Western society that but nobody talks about, right? So right. Right, he was not nailing on that, and it's very well performed. So anyway, so he's in every scene, uh, and basically he's but he's also directing the film. So that Correct. must be a big job for you, right? Because you're you're look you're looking at the monitor, and he's not because he's in the, he's in he's on frame, right? Yeah, I mean, I've actually done three movies like that, oddly, because um, I did Don John and then I did Birth of a Nation with Nate Parker. Okay. And he was acting and starring and I did Wish uh, Wish I Was Here with Zach Braff and he was directing and acting everyone uh, in every scene. 
Um, with Don John, what was really helpful for me was that I already had a relationship with Joe. Uh, he and I did 500 days of summer together. Yeah. And so we already had a comfort level with each other. So I just had, you know, we had a very short shoot. I want to say it's been a minute, but I think it was five week shoot to get that movie done. Well, it's and an independent so, film, right? So they had a, they, they right. yeah, yeah. It was really quick. It was a really quick shoot. So, you know, having a certain level of comfort with him, you know, we had a trust already built in. And so basically he would do a few takes and then come back and, and I would just be like, yeah, don't bother with that take, but watch this, this, and this. And if he found what he was looking for, great. But he was, if he didn't, he'd be like, well, let me go back and watch this other one. Um, or I could just sit there and literally blurt out across the set, you know, your frame doesn't show you pulling out your junk. Like, do you want it to show that motion? You yeah. need to widen it up. And then he'd be like, okay. Um, he'd be like, record that for me. Yeah. And then he'd come up watching and he goes, oh, you're right. You're right. Let's widen up. And then he'd go back in. Yeah. Um, you just can't mince words in that situation. It's like, we just got to go. So it is what it is. Yeah. But having that built in trust and relationship it wasn't an awkward thing. I was just like, listen, I know what this film is about. You know what it's about. Let's just go. Yeah. Um, and I I thought it was a film that not only was it interesting, it addressed, you know, addiction to porn and, and internet porn, but our relationship and our connection with the internet. Yeah. And with, with uh, you know, I just had this conversation with a friend last night where we were talking about, so much of society relies on the safety net of having a screen between people, whether or not you see them or not, you're texting, you're, you know, you're zooming, FaceTiming, whatever, yeah. that often, and, and that's what happened in Don John, you lose how to connect with actual people in person. 100%. And and just to jump on, if you if you ever see him, tell them that there's a guy Wild Sound thinks it's a big fan of the movie, because I one of the other thing is though it's like for me it's about a boy who becomes a man, and what I mean by that is that he actually starts connecting with the the female in a, in a sexual way, where it's not just about his part of my French, but about his dick, right? It was exactly. it's not just about it's about it's not about that instant gratification he's getting. It's about intimacy. It's about learning to basically the the female has a body as well, learning that there's there's the connection. It's not just like and that's and that's a danger of porn because that's what porn has done for boys. They don't they 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 don't care about the woman because that's what porn has taught them. And that's what he learns in the movie. He he becomes a different person in the end. So I, I got the movie right away. I was like, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's just a different version of a coming of age story. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's exactly it. Was, it. We had, I mean, you know, it was a great, great experience filming that. And it was really amazing watching him step behind and be a director. And I remember listening, you know, different, different news crews would come through to interview him and they were always like you could tell any story at this point why this one and I think that you know Joe is such an intelligent person and such an amazing filmmaker I mean he could see early on that this was the beginning of a much bigger problem yeah, and this 100%. was you know a really good way to to tell it well, sorry for like uh, indulging you. No, in yeah. you can ask me anything. It's fine. I I really love that movie and I agree with you. It didn't get a lot of love. And I think it was probably because of the subject matter, um, because it was very well done. And 
It's a movie that nobody wants to talk about. That's basically, exactly. that's why it needs to be made. Right? So There seems to be a lot of the movies I worked on. It's like, oh, okay. Um, you know, Promising Young Woman was about, you know, a date, uh, we'll call it a date rape. Yeah. But um, in The Revenge of That and in Birth of a Nation about, you know, a, the slave who led the most deadly massacre of slave owners. I, I tend to work on these movies that... Um, just people don't really want to think about in Selma, right? Which didn't, no, which Selma. got totally screwed, right? In terms right. of like didn't get justice, right? So, I mean, <laughs> Selma, that was such a powerful movie. I mean, I just, I've never had the first day on set like I've had on that set. And Ava and I go way back. I mean, I had done her first movie, um, all the way up to Wrinkle in Time, and to see her grow as a filmmaker and to step in this role on such a big level and tackle such a big <clears throat> moment of time and history was magical. And then the first day we got there, David Oyelowo had encompassed that role so much and to read passages from Martin Luther King and uh, bless us all and, and bless the shoot. And they, you know, it was just, it was really emotional and it was really powerful and set the tone for how that movie was going to go. Okay. So let's talk about gummies. So you, you, uh, you said you'd like, you wrote, you wrote, power of film festival. You got a connection. you like this guy's scripts and you wanted to make the film. Yeah. Uh, which is fantastic. It's one location. It's two actors in terms of the, the, the lead female, young female role, role. I'm sure you've seen it before in your experience. Working with a child actor is not the easiest thing. So I'm I'm assuming casting this actor was probably the most important job of the film, like making sure that you got the right actor to play this role. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. Um, you know, when Michael and I were planning it, we honestly didn't think we'd find an 11-year-old that could give us the emotional depth we needed. You know, because so there's what less than 10 lines of dialogue. So really so much of this relied on her facial expressions. Yeah. And so um, we had decided to age the character up to about 13 or 14 and thought, you know, maybe we'll have an easier time. On top of that, I made the decision to shoot it in the Dominican Republic. So everything we were doing leading up to actually shooting it, we had to do everything via zoom my entire crew was in the dominican republic my visual effects was in taiwan mike lives in mexico city so it was a different process um trying to get this all together and i'm somebody who really believe like i like to be in front of the actor you know when i'm casting them to actually i just think you can see more than on zoom so as we were trying to figure this out i get a call from my production designer in the DR. And he was like, I've got you. I've got your Alex. You know, his landlord, who he had gone to high school with, had a, an 11 year old daughter. And he was like, That's your Alex. I'm going to send you pictures and we're going to, I'm going to introduce you over Zoom, but I promise you it's your Alex. And the moment he sent me that picture, I was like, That's it. That's her. Um, and then I met her and I was, it just, you know, made me even more confident that that was who I needed. So I really got lucky. It just happened to be somebody knew somebody. Um, 
and we were able to, you know, do it the age we wanted to do her. And she just says everything with her eyes. She does. And she, where is she, where is she from? She's from Santa Domingo. Oh, gotcha. So, so every, you did. Everybody's in Santa Domingo, but me. <laughs> so, so why did you decide, why did you want to shoot it in Dominican Republic? Because you just said um, your was there. So during the pandemic, I ended up doing two back-to-back movies as a script supervisor in Santa Domingo, or actually in the all over the Dominican Republic. One was a movie called Old with M. Night Shyamalan. One was a movie called Arthur the King, which is just about to come out with Mark Wahlberg. And during those seven months, we had the same, they have one like main, what they call their international crew that works on all the films that come into the DR. Yeah their A-list crew. And I, that's who I hung out with and became friends with. And so I had, after my first short film, which did really well throughout the genre circuits, um, I was having a lot of meetings and I kept getting told off the record that as a Latina female director, I was a harder sell and I needed to keep proving myself. And it started to make me mad. And so I was like, okay, well, you want me to prove myself? I'm going to go shoot it in another country and I'm going to shoot it in two different languages. And maybe then you'll take me seriously. And I I called them up and I was like, hey, your girl needs to come to Santa Domingo and I need to make a short film. And they were like, we're in, you just tell us the date, you tell us what you need and you get here and we'll shoot. And that's exactly, and that's exactly what happened. You know, we had a month and a half of meetings via Zoom and I got there and walked through the location with them. They'd already been going there. I picked out the set dressings that I wanted. And within 16 hours, we had a short film. So why were you, why were there like films going on? Is it because was there restrictions not as strict as in the States as they were making films in the Dominican Republic? During that time, um, are you talk about in general, why are films going there? No, I'm just, like, no, I was just curious why you said you were working back to back in Dominican Republic. Oh, I don't know if that was common. Um, Is it because the, the restrict, the, the COVID restrictions they, were, weren't as, weren't as like as conservative, I guess, in the States? Well, actually, they were more strict in the Dominican oh, okay. Republic. Like they had a nationwide lockdown. So at eight up till 8 p.m., business could run as normal. You had to wear masks. You had to get your temperature taken at the doors. And you were constantly washing your hands as you entered businesses. But come eight o'clock, there were armed guards on every corner of the street. And everybody had to be indoors. Okay. Um, so they were very strict, but they have a really great tax incentive. And it was a place where they could put us in a bubble. And also both movies required those locations. I mean, gotcha. Old takes place on a beach. Arthur the King is about a adventure racer. Oh, but, I was just curious. Yeah, but that's, they. number one, first off, they have an amazing tax incentive. So that's kind of how I ended up over there. And it was in the middle of COVID. So you know, they were having a hard time. They were trying to book East Coast script supervisors, but nobody would travel during COVID. Gotcha. And I was you like, okay, you, you you wanted to travel. I wanted to travel. I was like, I was so sick of sitting in my apartment. So I was like, listen, you're going to test me every day. Put me in a bubble. Boom, let's go. And did you, did you ever get contract COVID? I did, but from um, not from there. When I came back to the States and work picked up here, I got it on another set here in Los Angeles, oh, which gotcha. was great. 
I had traveled all over the world and been fine. I stepped foot onto a set in LA. <laughs> That's how and it I works, got- right? Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So, so then basically you decided that, so you had the crew, so your cinematographer, everybody was um, from Dominican Republic because like they're, they're, you have very distinct camera movements in your, in your film. It's only, like I said, it's only one location and especially the opening shot. So did you have that, did you have like that storyboarded or how did you kind of like go, go through everything with the, the shot list? Um, yes, we did have everything storyboarded. Um, I met the cinematographer again through some friends down there and we had several Zoom meetings and we had never met prior to that. And then he happened to mention his roommate was a storyboard artist. So I met with his roommate and instantly we had a, a professional connection. And so he and I did all the storyboards via Zoom as well. Um, we had every shot storyboarded. And my belief, like, I love storyboards, um, but I also love them as as a guide. So if I want to do something off the path of the storyboards, I know what I have to come back to to make it work. So it's a good visual guide for me. But, um, yeah, everything was shot listed and storyboarded. And that way, when it was time to shoot, we could just shoot. The thing is, in the DR, they have six-day work weeks on their local movies, so most of my crew was working, you know, Monday through Saturday. So we had yeah. a Sunday and a Friday night. And, wow. um, you know, I, I still can't believe they worked two weeks straight just to get my short in there. So I had a very finite amount of time to utilize the crew I wanted to use. Six day work yeah. weeks, like 14 hour days. That's pretty that 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 I remember working in the industry and I would need that. Like you would finish that Friday night and you would. You would need that weekend just to, to like to calm down. Ex- like you're so exactly burned out. Saturday. Saturday you're sleeping and Sunday you're doing laundry. Yeah, exactly. They, they do six day work weeks, and so wow. I mean they were just rock stars for me all the way around. I I have so much love for my Dominican family over there, and I probably hear from them more than I do my friends in LA. They are just um, they're just the most amazing people and so creative and such hard workers. And the moment I came in, they were like, listen, you, you, you're our friend, you're our family. We love you. But today you're in an international director for us. And they would just bring in lookbooks and, and, you know, samples of dolls and whatever I needed. Um, They truly made the experience magic. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. This is, it's just a really well, put together film and so you mentioned the 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 actress that you had so you had to match it with the mom they looked almost they looked like their mom mother and daughter i'm assuming they're not (laughs) no they're not and it was crazy because again i had to do everything online and so i was sent you know five actresses and um you know you you do what you do and you kind of look at them and you weed through them and it came down to a couple of them but paloma i mean her acting skills were phenomenal and just her energy was so amazing. And she was so excited about the project and the subject matter. And, you know, just to throw it in there, the Dominican Republic is ultra conservative. And I had several people on my crew that do identify, and you know, as queer. And in the fact that they could do something like this in the Dominican Republic gotcha. was very exciting to a lot of people. Um, and we didn't realize it when we picked the date to shoot, but it happened to coincide with pride in Santa Domingo. So the whole thing just felt very serendipitous and meant to be. 
Gotcha. Well, the film's doing well. It's a perfect length. It's like it's like you you told a really concise story in, in five minutes, easily programmable at any right. festival. And it's just like a really kind of fits in. Yeah, no, but it's just but it's a really amazing film because it's like it like it, it it touches its story, like well performed, well directed. And uh, I just I love it. Like I love it a lot because it's like it's just like it's that's what a short film is. How you think like, it's, it's thematically driven, but it's like it is, but it's also well done. What did you think about We Send the Audience to You? What did you think about what the audience had to say about your film? You know, I was so blown away. I shared it with, you know, several of my crew members because, um, you know, you make these decisions as a director and you just hope they hit. You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But with the feedback of this festival, I, I was just so overwhelmed with how much they loved it and what they caught everything from, um, you've mentioned several times the camera work, like, I realized early on, I have two actors in a room that don't move. And so how do you create movement? So an audience, even if for five minutes, they're not just sitting there watching two people sitting there, Yeah, you know, and of course there's traditional coverage, but I wanted really it to flow and to creep and get in there. Um, so that was very, that was very much a conscious decision, but also they noticed things like the music um, the sound effects. I was really excited that they noticed the sound effects because me and my post sound mixer and my music composer, we work so hard on those to, you know, for example, there's footsteps and you could have put in any footsteps on a tile floor. But my thought was, I don't care if it sounds realistic. This is what she's hearing. This is her point of view. She's terrified the moment she hears those footsteps. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what we were going off of. And the fact that the viewers really caught on to that and loved it. Um, my music composer, I love him so much. And he hasn't been able to go to any festivals because he is actually like a bona fide rock star. He's on tour. They're doing their arena tour for the new album, you know, surrounded with pyrotechnics and got scary face paint on. But I, he's the nicest man and just so supportive. And I said, give me a creepy lullaby. And he was like, well, this isn't it, but it's, it's this piece in the realm of what you wanted. And it was exactly what I wanted. It ended up what we we used and, you know, uh, built up from. And so um, it just, it made me so proud of the team I chose um and who they are as people that they got so much recognition on the feedback because it was so deserved without them this short wouldn't hit the way it did yeah and it's doing i'm assuming it's doing well on the festival. it is doing well i just got an email that noah who plays uh alex the little girl in the film won her third acting uh award um I won and with the same email they I won best director but we just came from a festival where we won another best micro short so I you know I'm super proud and you know I could have directed this any way I wanted to but without my crew they would have been nothing yeah and the sad thing is the crew in the Dominican Republic hasn't even seen it yet you know I sent out an email and I said here's the situation we've had a massive strike in in, LA, in Hollywood yeah which also affected all of their work as well because they were on international TV series. Yeah. I think the new Narcos and everything shut down. And I said, it, I could either spend the money coming back and screening this for you soon or getting gummies out there in the festivals. 
Um, you know, if you want, I can send you a link or you can wait until I come in the spring and we can watch it together as a crew, you know, whatever you want, I'm here for you. And they all voted to watch it together as a crew. They're like, we can wait. You know, we wanted, we've shared this much together. Let's wait and watch it together. That's amazing. So did you just going to wait to go there? Yeah, nobody has seen it uh, in the Dominican Republic. Which is, um, you know, I was going to say, ahead. because in, whenever you want to, a year from now when the festival circuit's over, this is a great film to put online to get some like get some views to showcase. It's a great proof, proof of concept of, of you as a director. So, Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, we are, it was written just to be a short. It has gotten so much love and attention that we've really looked at it and thought, you know, we could expand this into a feature. And so that's, we've just finished the first draft and we've gone really more into the history of this barbaric form of conversion therapy that they're mm-hmm. doing and gone into mom's history and and um, all that good stuff. So yeah. I think everybody's going to really love it. It's still, yeah, it's a timely, uh, it's a timely uh, story. And it's like, looks like your origin story too. Like the kind of the religious doc- doctrination is still relevant today. I think there's like 20 states that still believe that still like legalizes conversion therapy in the United States. And like people think that's over, but it's still but it's like different. 40% of the states is, it still approves it. They like, it's crazy. Right. So. I just came back from Austin, Texas, where, um, where I, I gummies was in the a film festival. Um, and it was amazing to me because, you know, I worked there for, as a social worker, that's when I worked for the GLBT youth group and a couple of my former youth that were there who came out as trans and have transitioned, you know, saw the short and it was so special to share with them, but also, heartbreaking because in talking to them and in talking to so many people there, they were like, oh, we're getting out of here. You know, there are no trans rights in Texas. There are, you know, barely any rights for the GLBT population in Texas. And so many of them are planning to leave because they're afraid. And I'm like, you know, this is 2023. Why, why is this still a thing? And it still is. And that's another thing. It's like, that's the danger is that people think that there's been so much progress because there has, but people think that, oh, there's been so much progress. We're, we're go, everything's okay now. Right. And it's like, it's not okay. There's still a long way more, long, more way to go. Right. So. I mean, the lesson should be whatever it is you believe in, but if you look at Roe versus Roe v. Wade, right. You think you make so much progress and this has reached the Supreme court. The lesson there it doesn't mean it sticks. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't mean we can't take 10 steps back. And yeah. so you're constantly having to fight for it. The fight's never over. Um, and it won't be for a long time. You know, it doesn't mean it sometime in the youngest generation's future, it wouldn't be. But for the here and now, you know, it's still very much a fight. Exactly. There's still people being, you know, in the, the friend I'm thinking about that I had breakfast with, um, you know, he and his wife, they were like, you know, the thing is, even though legally we're married, legally my gender's changed, the state of Texas, if something happened to me, could still come in and deny me health care. Yep. And and nobody should be denied health care. Well, no, it's that should be a fundamental right. 
Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> it it still makes no sense because I'm Canadian, so it, may, it still makes oh. no sense how how Americans really? don't have have a universal health care. It's like the one of the richest countries in the world, right? So exactly, but also greedy. So yeah, yeah, I guess it's just they believe in uh, they believe in less government. That's for sure, right? Very capitalistic exactly. in that nature. So exactly. So you know those those kind of conversations is what really keeps us going with gummies and really pushing forward to to make a feature version and to um, incorporate these thoughts because, you know, so much of education for young people right now is through media, whether it's movies or or radio or music or internet, whatever it is. And so if I can create a body of work to show them the dangers of what's happening, um, it, it would really... I don't know. It would, it would just really make me proud. Well, you're fantastic. You like obviously you 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 witnessed many of uh, uh, films and probably good and bad, right? Like some some <laughs> films that I'm sure it makes bag of nuts, right? I'm I'm sure you've learned like what not to do, <laughs> right? More right. than what you yeah sometimes, right? Oh, I, you know, I tell people that all the time. Learning isn't just learning from the best; it's learning yeah. from the worst. You know, it's and also you know, learning what your style is, learning what your voice is. It's almost like dating. You go out and you date a bunch of people and you figure out what what really you're looking for and what balances you and what works for you, right? But you got to go through a lot of people. I um, 100% agree with that theory. And then that's what I did before I met my wife. It's like I, because I, I took the, the power of, of uh of dating the dating apps because I and basically it's like I got this I'm as well just like a I have this opportunity the to numbers game right <laughs> three or four dates a week I'm and then so I could find the right person but then I, the, I what I did is I learned about myself in the process which I exactly. had no idea yeah that's exactly how it happens and yeah. and it happens all across life it happens going to film festivals it happens directing working for directors you're like oh I like this but I don't like that. And what works for me and my personality and how I connect with people is somewhere here in the middle. Um, so, and, and I also learned the, I also learned the weaknesses of my personality, which I'm like, yes. I, I can get vulnerable of certain personality types. I can get vulnerable with, right? With, right? In the creative process, oh, you can get bogged down by not having. You kept on praising your crew the whole interview. It's like the crew is that. That's if you have a, the wrong member of your crew. It's like a domino effect. They could, or it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like you, you, it has to be good energy. It has to be, they, they all have to be, everybody needs to be making the same film, right? So that well, makes and I, I very much believe in that saying, you're as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. And the thing about the crew that I had with gummies is, you know, it was very much a collaborative effort in a team. You know, I wanted to hear what they thought. I wanted to hear their ideas. And and we would sit there and we would talk everything out. Um, my two producers, Gabby and JJ, were amazing. You know, we would just bounce things off. And, and their goal was to make sure I had a seamless directing experience. And my goal was to make sure they were heard and got what they needed to make that happen. And so, you know, what I've learned early on as a script supervisor is filmmaking is so collaborative. 
And I've worked with directors who are like, I don't need anybody. I don't want to see that script supervisor. She needs to go sit somewhere by sound and not talk. And that's like one of the biggest directors out there. And I'm like, but I do have a purpose, you know? Um, And the more successful films are the ones that work more collaboratively with each other. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like having a, a, you know, a great baseball team. You can't just have a great pitcher. You got to have a great hitters. Yeah, well, I was going to use the. I was going to. Well, I was about to use a football analogy on you, and I'm like, okay, I, I, I stopped because I was going to say like. Oh no, I'm a big sports fanatic. I'm still at the deep down. I'm still a Texas girl. Okay, I do not no, because I, I, I didn't want to like say like, what is he like? Why is he talking like using like? But I was going to use it with the crew. The film crew is like a is like a football team. It's like they're like said the offense. Like you're the quarterback, right. you're the director. But if one person, one of the members, like the tight end or the 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 guard the right guard if they they make the wrong play the whole play doesn't work right all 11 yeah. all 11 position players need to be in sync with each other and if one person's out of sync then everything falls apart and that's what i like to think like that's what a movie set is right like you everybody's got to be doing the same thing everybody's got to be making the same movie right a hundred percent and you know as a director you know i felt like my job was to communicate exactly what was expected you know as the look of the short and whatever, so that everybody's on the same page. You know, if there's any questions, any doubt that we're not on the same page, let's get it, let's get it going now. So that way on the day that we start to shoot, we're just all working like clockwork. Exactly. And, and you know, even if I don't see this person making a decision, they know what I want. I have a hundred percent trust that that's what I'm going to get. You know, it's like with the dolls, I was not there in Santa Domingo when they shopped for all the props. Yeah. But the moment I saw it, I was like, oh, that was perfect. You did exactly, you know, you and I had exactly the same vision. Yeah. Make people, yeah. And then they love that you're making, you're using their 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 expertise to your advantage, right? To make the best film possible. Exactly. And, you know, I, that would be my biggest advice to any director starting out or up and coming, or, or if you've been doing it a while, you know, don't forget you hired that crew member for a reason. You know, there are, you hired them because, they were the best that you saw to do that job. And so lean into that. <laughs> lean into that. That's, that's the best word. Like that's the best advice right there. Lean yeah. into it. It's so true. All right. I took one too much of your time. I really appreciate your kind thank words. You thank so you so much. Talk, I, um, thank you for letting me talk about some of the films you worked on. And uh, let's talk again when you make your next film. Sounds great. And thank you so much to this festival. It has been really amazing experience for us. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel, Hasenbemp Incorporated.